Our text this morning is from the Old Testament book of Isaiah. So if you have a copy of the scriptures or use your device, if you'll open up to Isaiah chapter 6, and I'll read verses 1 through 8 in a message in this worship series over the month of August titled, Worship is the Basis uh, for Mission. Worship is the Basis for Mission. Isaiah chapter 6 Verse 1 through 8, stand to your feet if you would as we, uh, as I read the word of God uh, this morning. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each had six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty." Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. You may be seated. Now this passage, if you've been in the church for a while, maybe you haven't, uh, but if you've been in the church for any uh, length of time and maybe you grew up in the church, this is a, you know, a classic passage. Maybe the most famous passage uh, or one of in the Old Testament for sure, if not one of the most well-known passages in all of the Bible. And it's often talked about, as I'm talking about it in a way this morning, when we talk about the mission that God has called us to be involved in, right? Here am I, send me, which is kind of where this passage, this first part gets its you know, popularity, gets its, its application in some. It's really, the, even though it's in the you know, sixth chapter of the book, that's how this writer, this great prophet, one of the, the one Jesus quotes the most, he's pretty serious uh, 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 personality in the, in the Bible, that this is the prophet Isaiah, it's where he chooses to place his, you know, his calling. Now, you might think like in Jeremiah, if you're familiar with that book, he does it in the beginning. It's sort of like, let me tell you my story. This is how I got involved in being a prophet. But Isaiah, for reasons that maybe we'll learn a little bit this morning, he saves his calling uh, to share it here for uh, the sixth verse. And he says, listen, this is how I got into this, right? Before I ever wrote uh, the the book that you're reading, the book of Isaiah, God called me into, uh, let's say, the ministry, and this is how it happened. But I would say this to you. We are talking about mission this morning. Worship, my relationship with God, your relationship with God, I'm talking about your personal worship time, is um, the basis for your involvement and my involvement or our involvement as a church in worship. That's what I want to talk about this morning. But what this passage, this very famous passage, is really about more than anything else 
is the gospel of Jesus Christ and how the gospel, as it's experienced in worship, the grace that's experienced in the gospel in worship changes us and gives us a heart of changes our heart of stone, is to use the Old Testament terminology, changes me from being someone who's primarily selfish and trying to seize my life is primarily about satisfying my own needs, changes my heart and helps me to grow a heart for other people, right? That's what this passage is really all about. And I want to say this to you. I don't know that I've ever given a message here. I, I have a, 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 a level of, um, I don't know, trepidation and a level of anxiety and fear that I am not going to do justice to this passage and that you are going to walk away in 20 minutes from now or whatever time I have left having missed the most beautiful uh, truth and one of the most beautiful truths in the Bible and in the world that I think is found in this passage. So, let us pray for me, uh, if we can right now. Let us pray. My Lord and my God, I do come before you with this uh, group of folks this morning in this place. And God, we, we ask, I ask, that the ordinary would become extraordinary, that the natural would become supernatural. I pray that you would help me in my uh, very limited uh, abilities to bring forth the truth of this passage, that it might, might touch our lives, that we might see something we haven't seen, that we might be energized, electrified, changed. Uh, I pray, help me, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. The first thing that I think this passage says to us is that God is amazing, right? I mean, this is the only passage you have like this, these very strange creatures. This is the only one. Why is it here? Yes, Isaiah wants to tell you how he got involved in the ministry, but he wants to say something a lot more. And the first thing he wants to say is that God is amazing. I, I, had, a, I had to drive to um, Syracuse this week, and I just you know, kind of got lost like you do, uh, uh, not driving, but um, uh, I'm listening to the radio, and, and a song came up on the radio, you know, just kind of, and it was the song, some of you would know it, some of you wouldn't, Only the Good Die Young, okay, if you remember that song. And it's funny, I was listening to that song, and all of a sudden I was 17 again, I remembered every single word, you know. I looked down, I was going 80 miles an hour, you know, but, <laughs> point, but I, when that song was over, right, I realized something, maybe it was even the next day. That, that, that the, the idea of that song, right, that, you know, only the good die young, if you listen to all the lyrics, it's, it's, it's having fun, but it's th this idea that, that, that has become really very popular, you know, not because of that song, in our popular culture, in our music, in our movies, maybe even in, 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 a, in way people understand God that is, people that are good, people that do what is right, you know, dads that do it right, moms that do what's right, and politicians that do what right, if there are any, you know, uh, the people that do what is right, they're boring. Good people are boring. And really, the most interesting people, whether it's in movies, whether it's in music, whether it's in our neighborhoods, whether it's in, you know, wherever it is that we have, they're the, they're the people that, you know, that, that mix it up, that do what's wrong, that, you know, uh, you know, mix up evil. Those are the interesting people. Those are the interesting movies. 
and everyone else is. I mean, think about it. If you were, if you were uh, asked today to be in the next Batman movie, I don't know how many there's been, right? I mean, raise your hand if you'd want to be Robin, right? I mean, if, 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 even if it's, if, if, if it's a choice between Robin and the Riddler, I think I'm going with the Riddler, okay? Or, or maybe Mr. Freeze, you know? I mean, who hasn't dreamed of just once, right, Keith? You know, just having that ability to just, you know, freeze somebody into an ice cube for a day or two, right? No one wants to be a, a Robin. But I think many of us, right? We've got kids in the room, you know? We project this kind of thing, right? Good is boring, and, and, and bad is interesting. We project it on God, and when we do this, my point. God is amazing. We not only miss out on what is so amazing about being a, a Christian, but what's so amazing about being a human being. Because let me tell you something. God is anything but boring. God is amazing. And if your God is not amazing, if God is not amazing you anymore, whether you've been a Christian a week or several years, something is significantly wrong with you and me. In the year that King Uzziah died. Now, Isaiah uses this. It's the only time I think that I know in the prophets, they always talk about, you know, this year and that year and this year of the month. If you look, there's a lot of chronology when the prophets are talking. It's the only time I remember where Isaiah says something, marks it by the death of somebody, but he's doing it as a shorthand because if you understood the great history that goes beyond this king, it's very rich. It's like, me, it's like me using George Washington as a shorthand or, you know, using, you know, Abraham Lincoln as a shorthand. If I wanted to use something like that, I could use it. He's saying, in the year that King Uzziah died, and King Uzziah, who most of us may not know, but in the history of Israel, if you read your Old Testament, he was one of the longest reigning kings. He reigned for 52 years, and over those 52 years, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in the southern kingdom, it was a time of tremendous prosperity. I mean, they had become a, a, a huge um, a, a nation. They'd become a great monarchy, and many great exploits happened under Uzziah, King Uzziah. It was a time of great material prosperity, right? You might say it was like the 20th century for America kind of a thing. Under those 52 years, the nation of Israel had become extremely prosperous, but you have to read the opening chapters of Isaiah. Alongside that great material prosperity, alongside that great international geopolitical prominence came a low point for the spiritual people of God. They had become very smug. They had become very proud. And their faith had become very superficial. And King Uzziah, it's written in the Second Chronicles, this is how he died. He had become so full of himself, so prideful about his many accomplishments that he decided one day he could go into the temple, the holy place of God, and he was gonna do what only the priests could do. Why do I need them to offer incense in the, uh, in, in the inner court of the temple? I don't need to do that. And King Uzziah decided he wanted to do that himself. And the priests, who feared God more than they feared the king, 80 priests, led by Amaziah the high priest, they stormed into the temple. They saw what the king was doing. They had the courage to call him on the carpet and say, King Uzziah, what you are about to do is not right. You are not worshiping God. God has not called you. He's called you to be a king, but not to be a priest. And what you are doing is not right. And King Uzziah said, how dare you tell me what to do? And as soon as those words were out of his mouth, leprosy broke out 
over his whole body. And he learned, he realized it was time to get out of the temple. And very shortly after that, he died. In this moment was so incredibly sobering, not just, of course, for Uzziah's family, but the whole nation, their leader, the guy who had become, you know, in many ways, the, the, the epitome of all their hopes and all of their success had died in this incredibly um, uh, 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 sobering and way where he was judging the temple and the whole nation, I don't know what would be a good example of this, maybe 9-11, but the whole nation was brought to its knees and even Isaiah the prophet was um, humbled and he was scared and he goes to his prayer closet, so to speak, and he has a vision, this is the background of this passage, that brings him to his knees and this vision changes him but it says something to us about uh, about us right think about these angelic beings now there's not a lot said about them god is amazing right i'm sure there's so much more that could be said about what they are and what they represent but let me tell you what little is said here conveys something very important and what it conveys is humility right with six wings, right? Some kind of strange being that has six wings. Two of its wings are covering its face, right? It has six wings, only use two for flying. Two of its wings are covering its feet. Now, why is it doing that? Clearly, what it's saying is, is before Almighty God, the purpose of these beings, they are humbled, God is holy, and then out of their mouths, they also have mouths, right? They say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They're saying something about God. The word holy in the Hebrew means sacred, but the root word means clean. And what's being illustrated here, what's being, um, ta- what's being um, uh, uh, taught here is that God has absolute moral purity. That's who he is. Not only absolute moral purity, but the other meaning for holy, 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 means separate, right? When I say something is holy, I mean it's set aside for a special purpose. This money is holy. This house is holy. This child is holy. It's set apart for a special purpose. And God is not only morally perfection, right? He's not only morally clean, but he set aside and above his creation, which is why it is so foolish for us to worship something, to worship something he created, whether that's a tree or the sky or the stars or other people in a celebrity culture. God is holy. He is completely other. He is not, you know, the bearded grandfather. He's not your personal assistant. He is a holy God, and it says his glory fills all the earth. Now, what is God's glory? What the word glory means literally in Hebrew, it means weight. It means influence in what Isaiah is saying. He's waking up to the fact that not only is God holy, but his significance, his weight fills the whole world. His authority, right? When I say somebody's a very weighty character, they're the most weighty person in the room. God's glory, his weight fills the earth. His influence, his authority fills the earth, and it includes your life, and it includes my life. And Isaiah is having this moment when he realizes the weight of God pressed up against him. And let me say something. God is not only amazing in the Old Testament, right? This is a great vision of God in the Old Testament. God is amazing as he appears in the New Testament in the person of Jesus, right? 
I, I just looked at this this week, 12 times in the Gospel of Mark alone, it says that Jesus is amazing. The people heard him teach, and they were amazed by what he says. They saw his power. They were amazed. The way that he lived, the way that he acted, they were amazed, right? God is amazing. Is he amazing to you? Is he amazing to me? Because if God is not amazing to you, or if he has ceased to amaze you, right, then something, is, something very important is missing, and I think it's found here in this passage. God is amazing, and here's the heart of the passage. Only a God who amazes us can change us, right? That's what this passage is really about. Only a God who amazes us can change us. I, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. I had a, a serious conversation with my family members, adult members of my family, mixed, uh, some Christian, some not. And we had this long conversation. It was my whole, all of my siblings were, but it was really between one of my brothers and I. And after a long conversation, it was very rich, talking about many issues of why my, uh, this one sibling found the, the Christian faith, you know, uh, 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 not palatable, not, not reasonable. And after I we felt like we got through some of those, he said something that was so rich, it took two hours to get there, and he said, listen, let me ask you a question. He said, why do you think, now that we've sort of taken a few things off the table, why do you think that I will not accept the Christian message? I thought, wow. I mean, uh, in, in the 30-some years that I've been a Christian, never has he asked me that question. Why do you think? What, should, what, what do you think is the reason I'm unreal? And I said this. You know, I didn't know the question was coming. I said, the, my best guess is this, that you are unwilling to accept someone else's authority over your life. That's what I think is the primary reason. Now listen, in terms, sometimes when we think about that, when we think about the authority of God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his, of his glory, that is his weight, his authority. And you have to come to terms with God's authority. I have to come to terms with God's authority. Many times when we think about that, we only think about it in, in the terms of what it means for God. And even I can think of people, my brother, think, well, you know, God is, do we, is God just like this, you know, his ego needs to be stroked. Why do we always say to God be the glory, right? We're always thinking of it in terms of what it means for God. But I think what this passage tells us is we need to think about what it, in terms of what it means for us, right? God's authority. Here's what I think it means. Only a God who amazes us can change us. Here's what I think Isaiah 6 tells us. The only place we can be truly ourselves is before God, right? The only place that we can truly be ourselves is before God. And if you really want to experience change in the deepest part of who you are, right? I'm not talking about superficial change. I'm not talking about a haircut. I'm not talking about turning over a new leaf. I'm talking about the things that are at the core of your existence, your ability to deal, let's say, with anger in your life, your ability to deal with anxiety in your life, your ability to grow a heart and to love in a way that you cannot love. If you really want to deal with those, you want to experience change there right? You have to wave the white flag before God every day because the only place that you are truly going to be who you are, right, 
is in the presence of God is when the light of God's truth is shined into the darkest corners of your life. Because let me tell you something, you know this. I've been a Christian 35 years doing my best to be before the word of God. Let me tell you something. My life is full of half-truths. And sometimes we walk around not only with half-truths, but even lies about ourselves and we don't even know it, right? That's why, some, that's why we destroy relationships unintentionally. That's why we blow up our lives un, sometimes unintentionally because we do not even understand the capacity. We don't understand how we are coming off to the people around us and to the world around us. Isaiah, just don't turn there, but Isaiah chapter one, or if you want to, Isaiah opens his prophecy with this, with a condemnation of the the nation, right? He's a prophet. Woe to the sinful nation. This is Isaiah 1.4. A people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers. Wow, how'd you like to have that as your pastor, right? Children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him. And he was right. He's saying, listen, under all this material prosperity, under all this sort of great, uh, greatness under King Uzziah, for 52 years the nation has become great, but their hearts have become hard. Their guilt is great. They are evildoers. Their children are given to corruption. They've forsaken their God. But in this great vision, right, what was said of the community is now said of Isaiah himself. He stands condemned with the community. Woe unto me, I cried. I am ruined. I am, as the King James says, I am undone, right? Now, why is this so important? Unless only a God that can amaze you can change you, and part of that amazement it starts with the light of God's truth. That's what worship is, bringing the dark things in your life to, to, to the surface. Well, who wants to do that, right? Why is it so important? Listen very carefully. Let me tell you why it's important. Many of us Christians, we're here on church. We live our lives before God primarily on the level of dealing with our guilt. And that's not a bad thing. Right? We come to God every single day. That's what the gospel is. That's what, that's what, the, the, um, what it means to be in a relationship with life. My life chain happens as I continually, even after I become a Christian, continually deal with not the penalty for my sin, but the power of sin in my life. Right? And, and, but what we do is we deal with God primarily, it's sort of an arm's length, with the guilt. And let me tell you what guilt is. Very basic uh, uh, definition. Guilt is about feeling bad about the things that we've done, right? But then there's this thing called shame. Let me tell you the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is about feeling bad about the things that we've done. Shame is about or I should say the things we've done wrong, shame is about the things that are wrong with us, right? There's a difference. I come to, I, I, have, a, I have guilt issues. I say, God, I've done the wrong things. And I come to my relationship with God to find release and forgiveness for the wrong things that I've done. But what we really need to experience if we want to change is we need to find healing for the things that are wrong with us, right? That's what's going on with Isaiah. He was a great prophet, 
He was right when he said, listen, this nation is corrupt. Its children are corrupt. Its people are materialistic. They've lost their ability to worship God. It's totally superficial. And he gets in the presence of God and he says, oh my goodness, so am I. Woe is me. I am undone. I am undone. But, but, don't miss this. Before I scare you off, right? The gospel changes lives because once Isaiah comes to this understanding, once this darkness is revealed, once he understands that there's something wrong with him, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar. What is the altar? It's the place of sacrifice. It's what the cross behind me is about. It's a place where atonement happens for, which we know what the word atonement means in Hebrew. It means paid for. When he touched my mouth, he said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is paid for. Isn't that unbelievable? This is where your life changes. This is where my life changes changes when God he takes the very thing that Isaiah was the was the touch point of what was wrong with him he said I am a man of unclean lips this is what is wrong with me right not I did something wrong there's something wrong with me and in that very place God sends forth this angelic being to bring atonement in that very place in his life. This is how change happens. But unless you have a God that amazes you, unless you were in a personal kind of worship with God where God can go beyond the surface in your life to get down to the really what's the real, well, real change happens, right? And not only is that revealed, but then you're opened up for God to bring not only forgiveness, but healing. You will never experience what it is that God wants you to experience. Only a God that amazes you can change you. Now watch how this passage ends. Watch how this passage ends. Isaiah does emerge a different man. If God is for us, who can be against us? Now I didn't read the whole rest of Isaiah 6, but here's what you'd find out if you did or if you read the whole chapter. Isaiah is called into this great mission. But this great mission, what God says to him in the rest of the chapter, after he has his attention, after Isaiah has been healed, after he not only saw there's not only something wrong that I did, there's something wrong with me, but God has touched me, God has forgiven me, God has healed me. And he says, listen, I'm ready to go. And God says, listen, well, let me tell you something. The mission that I'm calling to you to nobody's gonna listen to a darn thing that you say, right? It's gonna be very, very difficult. They're so steeped in their materialism. They're so far down the road in, in their rebellion. He says, it's gonna be a very hard ministry. You're gonna have a very small congregation. Maybe nobody's gonna show up. You know what Isaiah says? I don't care. Because... If you've had a, when you have truly experienced God's grace, not just on the superficial, but when God comes into the core of your being, where you feel defeated, where you feel I'll never change, where you feel I'll never be able to be different, and God comes into that place where you feel ruined, where you feel destroyed, where you say, woe is me, and God says, now I see it, and I can touch that, and I can heal it, and you can change. When that happens, 
What you and I say is, you know what? I don't care what's out there. I don't care what challenges I have in my marriage. I don't care what challenges I have in everyday life. I don't care how difficult it is maybe for me to go out and share my faith with the people. Let me tell you something, because if God is for us, if God is for you, what can be against you, right? Because what you realize in moment, what you realize in this passage is this, okay? Your confidence to do what it is that God's called you to do, your confidence This is what worship is about. To be what it is that God has called you to be is not about your capacities. It's not about your particular gifts or not gifts. Your confidence is transferred from who you are to who God is. And when Isaiah experiences that, he says, yes, woe is me. Yes, there is shame. There's something wrong with me. I'm broken, right? I'm broken. But God says, now that you can see that, I can bring healing into your life. And if I'm a part of your life, we can do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine, right? If God is for us, who can be against us? I mentioned in the, when I was, before we took the offering, this, you know, reach one, right? Reach one. What would our church be like? What would I be like? if every single one of us just took seriously, not to be a missionary, if God's calling you, it's great, not to, uh, you know, do some heroic efforts, right? Keith and I were just talking before the, uh, about our own family members, right? Just to pay attention to what God is doing in the people around you. And are you listening? Are you open? Are you willing to, to, to say, listen, my life's not perfect, my marriage is not perfect. My, I don't have my act together. But I serve a God who is great. I serve a God who is amazing. And if God is for me, who can be against me? And God, I want to say to you right now, although I'm a work in progress, here am I, send me. I meet with a couple guys every uh, week from this church, just sharing God's word, praying. We do this for, it's kind of a year-long uh, get-together. And one of these guys so amazed me this week, I just want to close with his story. He, he has a business, runs his own uh, practice, and he said, you know, uh, just recently, last couple months, he has a young woman that works for him, and she decided to, uh, uh, you know, just like you do with work people, she just sort of opened up to him and said, uh, self-disclosed that she had... Um, broken up with her boyfriend and she was gonna, she was moving to a, 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 a she was moving out. And, and he just kind of thought about that, you know, just thank you for letting me know that. And he said, uh, 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 about a week or two later, he was thinking about her, he was praying for her, he said, listen, mentioned her name, he said, hey, can, uh, do, do you, do, do you, are, do you have a faith background at all? And, you know, do you, do you go to church? And, and she kind of answered his question and they had a nice little conversation. About two weeks later, she came to him and said, you know, I've really been thinking about our conversation. She said, why did you ask me why, whether or not I went to church, whether or not I had a faith background? And he said, well, I'll tell you why. He said, because I've noticed, you know, that you seem to be unsettled. I noticed that you, you seem to be, you know, really, uh, there's a lot of stress going on in your life. And he just said this. I thought it was beautiful. He said, I just know what I do 
when I'm in those kinds of places, I happen to uh, uh, be a Christian, and when I'm in that kind of place, I have found my faith in God and prayer to mean a lot, so I just wanted to share that with you. And then he said, and I have a daughter who's about your age, and he said, you know, of course, I love her, and as I've seen her go through some challenging things in her life, I've prayed for her and encouraged her in her faith, and as I thought about uh, her, uh, you made, reminded me of her, so I just, and I really felt God was saying to me that I just wanted to um, pray for you and let you know about it. I thought, that's what it's all about. That's it, guys. It's not about being perfect. It's not about having your act together. It's about having an honest relationship with God. It's about having a personal worship experience. Let me tell you something. Uh, uh, I'm at a place in my life where I, I read um, about four chapters of the Bible a day, okay? Now, I haven't always done that, but that's kind of where I am. It gets me through the New Testament twice and the Old Testament once every year. Now, you might say, and I would say this to you, it is not a duty. It is probably, those parts of my day are the richest times of my day, not because I'm checking something off a list, but because those are the times where God amazes me, where God often reveals things in, that need work in my life, and where healing and restoration take place. Now, you might say, well, good for you. We pay you. You should read your Bible every day. Okay? Well, you know what? And I don't, have ch I don't have time to read four chapters. You know what? I'll give you that. But I sure hope you have time to read one. Right? I sure hope you have time to read one. Because if God does not amaze you, if God does not touch the deepest parts of who you are, he cannot change you. But if he gets into that place, let me tell you something. The things that you've not been able to deal with in your life, they'll begin to be dealt with in your life. And you'll be able to take your eyes off of yourself and to look to the people around you. Amen? Amen. Uh, but stand with me. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be here. I thank you so much, Lord, for what you have done in my life. I am so grateful. Lord, if this was the last day uh, uh, that I walked this earth, I would be, um, have so much um, praise and gratitude for what you have done with a sinner like me. Lord, help us to understand what the gospel truly is, that you are an amazing God. Yes, you're holy. Yes, you are perfect. Yes, you transcend even the most beautiful parts of your creation. But God, you desire to be in a, in a life-changing relationship with us. And you have provided for us access into your grace, access into your love, access into your power. Help us to boldly move toward that more aggressively today. And Father, even now as we say amen to this service and, 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 and uh, witness these baptisms, I thank you for the life change that you've done. I thank you for these folks who are saying, 
I'm gonna live for Jesus and I pray that you would um, uh, increase that experience here. I pray, Lord, that we'd baptize, you know, uh, hundreds of people in the next uh, uh, many years. We'd see many people like my friend's uh, 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 you know, employee, like my family members, like uh, my neighbors who don't know Christ today where they would be able to come and stand in this place and say, Jesus has forgiven me of my sin and I'm excited about uh, my life as a follower of Jesus. God bless us as we go today and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.